0: That is the challenge of pixel art, isn't it? To make a picture look good using pixels. Or we can just rotate the pixels 45 degrees and pretend we're in some crazy land.
1: Hey, everyone. Just me for a second. We just put up our 2016 t-shirts. Finally. Uh, They're only available until June 3rd. Now they won't be delivered in time for WWDC because we took too long to decide. But these are awesome. And I think they're going to be worth the wait. So see for yourself at atp.fm slash shirt. Thanks a lot.
2: Hashtag Casey was right. Maybe it's it's been stunning watching the fallout from uh, Fast Food Gate 2016, which I just coined moments ago. Um, a lot of people have been on my side. I wouldn't say it's it's overwhelming, but the fact that I think the feedback I've seen has been roughly fifty fifty, I'm counting that as a win for me.
0: I, that's I don't think that's how winning works exactly. Roughly fifty fifty, and I declare victory.
2: No, John, if there's one universal truth to the Internet, it's that the Internet believes that John Syracuse can do Mm, no wrong.
0: That is not a universal
2: truth. That is fact. You're you're projecting. Perhaps. (laughs) That's (laughs) neither here nor there. Uh, the, the, The Internet is of the belief that John Syracuse can do no wrong, and parts of the Internet have said John Syracuse has done wrong. And actually, it's funny because some people, and this is not a joke, some people have written in and said, and I don't have an exact verbatim quote in front of me, but something along the lines of, I thought John could never be wrong, but he's wrong about this food conversation which has made me so happy.
1: So to clarify, John being wrong means that people think Subway is better than Sabaros? Is that is that what...
2: Yes, or is not an utter unequivocal abomination.
0: Well, as in all things, like the, the actual points that people respond to were only tangentially related to points made by either of us <laughs> on the actual show. The most solid ones were, I felt like, where people who were just saying... Uh, I like or don't like a particular restaurant. That's food. fair. That's fair, right? And because then you give, all right, like we were talking about restaurants, and you could say I love Subway or I hate Subway, I love Subar or I hate Subar, right? But the the ones with, who came away with the conclusion that. There was the, the comparisons were made that were actually not made. For example, comparing Subway and Sabaro and what you would rather eat in a show in which I said I, uh, you know, or McDonald's even, in a show in which I said I eat Subway way more than McDonald's, and yet you have people saying that that meant that McDonald's was better than Subway or, or, or Subway was better than McDonald's. Anyway, lots of people latched onto their own particular competitions. But I would say, in the realm of Subway is good, Subway is bad, Sabaro is good, Sabaro is bad, where they didn't try to compare the two of them, it was about 50-50, and it's like the, uh, which I just Googled, the 1968 Yale versus Harvard football game, which was listed in the uh, newspaper. Oh, i got to find this. All right, here it is. The famous headline, which they bury in the last sentence of the paragraph. The headline after this uh, football game in 1968 was, Harvard beats Yale 29-29. <laughs> because <laughs> it was a game that ended in a tie so this is yeah casey beats john 50
2: 50 i'll take it i'm good with that you're not gonna hear me complain
0: anyway uh i would just uh point out that literally uh, all these issues are a matter of taste in all senses of that word <laughs> so there there can be no victory unless one of these food items uh is going to kill you which i don't think either one will that's true these issues are a matter of taste but my taste is better than your taste well, that's how taste works, doesn't it? But anyway, it's not as if there is a definitive answer. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, goodness. Yeah, but uh, but I, I will take the... John be John loses to Casey 50-50 or Casey beats John 50-50.
0: Or you can do one-to-one. You can do one to one. Out of 50-50, we're just using it as a percentages, but since this was a football score, it's points, so maybe it's one-to-one.
2: One. Yeah, I, I'll take me beating you with a tie. That That is good in my book.
0: Anyway, just, just so you know, since, since you don't read my at mentions, every time I say anything, somebody says, boy, I usually agree with what you say, but you're really wrong about X. That happens all the time. That's like 50% of my replies are people mm-hmm. telling me that they usually agree with me, but they disagree with me about insert whatever, and whatever you can think of has been there.
2: Yeah, but to be fair, people start from the position of, oh, John is right about this, mm-hmm, whereas yeah. without turning this into analog, I'm not as convinced that people feel that way about me.
0: Well, then you're spared all the, all the tweets about how everyone is so disappointed in you every time yeah, you have yeah, an opinion on anything. So usually I agree with everything you say, Casey, but I'm very disappointed in your opinion on the Windows XP bumper mm-hmm. sounds, or cars, or the, the restaurants you want to go to, or your choice of, uh, you know, Any other thing you possibly... Anyway, uh, yeah, you're right. Those those, uh, replies do show a sort of the baseline assumption. But on the other hand, if that baseline assumption doesn't exist, I don't get those tweets.
2: There's that, but... All I'm going to say is I will take your struggle, which is oh so real, over <laughs> over mine. Anyway, but uh, no, all, I'm really happy that we kept and uh, we slash Marco kept that conversation in the show because I thought it was really funny. And and as much as the bickering back and forth between listeners and between us uh, went on, I, I still um appreciate the fact that everyone seemed to take it for what it was meant to be which was yes we were killing each other but it was all in good fun and uh and we got some good feedback about the uh the segment in general which made me really happy so and like i said uh casey beats john 50 50 so i'm good with that
0: yeah massive overwhelming agreement that the that it was fun listening to us argue in the after show i think one person didn't like it and poor marco had to say you were literally the only person
1: he was we we got literally one complaint (laughs)
2: Uh, Yeah, it was funny. Um, And that person, I believe, was like, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but that was not good. (laughs) And as it turns out, individual, you were the first person to say that and the only person to say that. Anyway, I I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, even though I wanted to kill both of you, particularly John, because I think Marco kind of uh, ended up as Switzerland by the end of the conversation.
0: I I don't know why you focus all your anger on me, because I re-listened to that thing. And Marco was the one constantly poking and prodding you and egging you on. I was the one trying to bring it. Back to like Siri and Vive and stuff, and then Marco's like throwing these little bombs, then walking away. It was totally Marco's fault. It was not me. Go back and listen. to it Well, but I
1: I also was not really a hundred percent on either of your sides, but I, I was mostly <laughs> you're just an instigator. Yeah, but I, I, was, I was actually leaning mostly towards Casey's side. Not That's that this stuff saying. was very good, but that I thought that Subway was less terrible than Sabaro. Now I know at least like when we're all at WDC in in a few weeks.
0: We have to go to that mall food court. They don't have any of those brands there. They all have weird stuff. Yeah. Well, here, here here's the here's the one we can put in the after show. WWC box lunch versus any fast food.
2: <laughs> sometimes those box mm. lunches aren't bad. Sometimes
0: they're not so bad. Sometimes. Good. Sometimes they are. Yeah. It, well the the, oh, box,
1: the problem with the box lunches is that they basically all just taste like whatever the salad dressing was that they used to coat every ingredient that day.
2: Yeah, that's
0: probably fair. And then the ingredients themselves are often made of cardboard. Yes. So you're basically tasting
1: very chewy cardboard that tastes like salad dressing.
0: <laughs> that's that's not a bad that's not a bad summary.
1: Yeah.
2: Although apparently at uh Google IO, which we're gonna talk about quite a bit later, um, they don't serve you lunch, it seems like Well, they don't even serve you a roof.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sit outside in the sun. Ninety degrees. Like lizards on hot rocks. <laughs>
2: Oh, goodness. I can't I can't handle this already. Um, so Aline, a friend of the show, Aline Sims wrote in and said, um, in and out does not use frozen burger patties. I don't remember when or how that came up.
0: I said that we, we regret the error. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, In and Out. I've I've only been in out like four times, so I'm not into, I've seen them cut the fries, so I know they're taking potatoes and running them through a machine cutting the fries, but I, I lump them in with the the like that taste more like a fast food chain, like the people who get frozen patties like McDonald's and Burger King. Uh but In N Out does not do that.
2: Excellent. Yeah, In N Out is very good, but I think as we said the last episode, um I wonder if the reason I like it so much is just because I can never have it. And if it was somewhere if it was like five guys where I could consume it all the time, I'd be like, Well, I actually like five guys, and I'd be, eh.
0: Yeah, I had I had in and out two times in one week, and by the second time, I was like, mm, "All right, novelty's wearing off."
2: Yep, completely agree. That's what I did when I was in California, and I felt the exact same way. Man, this is no fun when we agree with each other. Uh, so yeah, screw Sabaro.
1: Give it time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll get right, there. Tell, tell me, John, about tech support ads being banned from Bing.
0: A, a couple of shows back, I talked about my mom falling for a tech support scam. Where, by the way, the the consensus seems to be that what these tech support scams really want is not to steal your information or put ransomware on your machine, although those are all definitely possible and I'm sure have happened. But uh, percentage-wise, it seems like the thing that most of them are doing is trying to scare you into thinking your computer has something wrong with it and getting you to sign up to a monthly fee for them to essentially do nothing. So they make your computer seem like it's haunted and say, oh, you have a serious problem here. If you pay us $5 a month, we'll make sure your computer stays clean. Uh, So it's uh, a slightly different kind of fraudulent scam. Than the kind that installs a rootkit or malware. But uh you can never know which one of those things you're doing, and uh my mother hung up on this person uh be, you know, without before finding out exactly what the scam was, and so wiping her computer was the best thing to do. But anyway, uh the story recently was that Bing, Microsoft's still existing apparently, competitor to Google search, uh is now banning all third party tech support services from Bing ads, like you know, the ads they serve with the search results. Just because so many of them are fraudulent, so it's an entire category of business that is that cannot advertise on Bing. Now, again, advertising on Bing maybe is not the biggest thing in the world, uh, but Google has done similar things in trying to find, trying to get businesses that are fraudulent, stop them from buying keywords or ads. Because as we all know, in these search results, a lot of the times the first few items are actually ads and not legitimate search results. And most people, I found, are not good at distinguishing what's an ad from what's not, even though they're like clearly labeled or in boxes or whatever. Uh, And I have no doubt that the thing my mother clicked on was not actually a search result, uh, but an ad because I know she doesn't know the difference between those two things. Just one of the top hits. All right. So anyway, it's sad that this entire what could be an entire legitimate category of businesses of like, oh, you have problems with your computer? Uh, there's a market need. We can help you with your problems. Instead, they're all just scams, and so they're just banned completely. Pretty crappy.
2: Yep. And uh, a lot of people wrote in with regard to our conversation about podcasting last episode. And many, many tinfoil hats were worn as emails were sent in saying, oh, obviously Apple is the source of that New York Times podcasting story. It's so clear. I didn't think that was the case, but I don't know. Marco, did you have any thoughts on that?
1: I mean, it didn't paint Apple in a very good light, so I don't think they would have been the source of that story. Um, Also, like things that are Apple-controlled leaks tend to read a certain way. Also, I can't recall a time that the New York Times was publishing those. Uh, it seems like Apple's controlled leaks uh, in recent years have gone to The Wall Street Journal and uh, Bloomberg usually so i I would not uh, i I think that's pretty unlikely basically
0: yeah, I completely agree yeah, and especially since like the idea was that uh you know like like we was saying in the past show, all these things that they're suggesting would just give Apple a tremendous amount of power. And that's bad for podcasters. And that was what's leading people to say, Oh, well, if it gives Apple tremendous power and it's bad for podcasters, don't stop thinking about it as, isn't it weird that podcasters would say that think about it Oh, all. This is exactly what Apple would want. But if Apple wanted to grab power in the podcast market, a, it could have done that years ago, and B, it doesn't need to leak anything to do it. It would just have to do it. So I don't see the purpose of that leak, even if that, even the dastardly Apple did want to own podcasting, which they totally have seemed like they don't, and they don't need the New York Times to do that.
1: Yeah, it seems like, you know, what we already knew, which is that... Apple is a very a very big player in podcasting, but that it doesn't it's not really like top of their radar. It's not like a huge priority for them. They have much bigger things to deal with. So and and I don't I don't see that changing. You know, like seeing what Apple has to deal with with their other product lines, various market pressures, uh, you know, various internal and external needs. Podcasting is just not very high ranking on that list. And I don't see that changing for the foreseeable future. It might, you know, way down the road, but I I really wouldn't assume that it's going to suddenly become a big thing for them. We are sponsored tonight by Ring, the Ring Video Doorbell. Go to ring.com slash ATP now. There are so many reasons to have a video doorbell. You can actually see who's ringing your doorbell, and you can respond from your phone, whether you're home or not. So you can pretend like you're home to maybe ward off burglars. You can tell a package delivery person, hey, leave it on the doorstep. I'm in the shower, even if you're like at work. And then, you know, you can have a package left. All sorts of good reasons why you'd want a video doorbell. There's also incredibly advanced motion detection here so that even if somebody doesn't ring your doorbell ring can turn itself on and alert you that somebody is at your door or looking around your door or looking around your porch or wherever you have it have it aimed and this can actually help you both deter and prevent home break-ins and they've actually run studies they've actually been able to been able to decrease the rate of home break-ins in neighborhoods that have a bunch of ring video doorbells installed Um, and home break-ins usually happen during the day that's when people aren't home so this can really help out a lot Um, installing ring is very easy it takes only minutes it can either work with your current wiring or they have a built-in rechargeable battery model so, John, you have one of these, right? Oh, I installed mine. I
0: got the, they sent me one of the, just the camera ones that's not the doorbell thing. Well, that's interesting. What is that? It's just wrapped up with like a mounting bracket that you can kind of stick anywhere and aim up and aim down and, you know, so you don't have to put it where your doorbell will be and it doesn't have a button on it. It is basically just a camera and I put it, I uh, guess what, facing my driveway because that's what I wanted to do with these things. Have you, have you caught anybody sneaking around your car yet? uh no just uh us every time we come home and the kids go out and and you know stuff like that so i'm still i'm I'm observing it, it i mean it works fine uh, i'm amazed at how long the battery is lasting i guess like it's basically off or asleep the entire time and then when you trip the ir sensor it turns on i think it's still like 90 percent battery it's been out there for like five days and it sends alerts to my ios devices when there's motion and i can look at it and uh, you know i can see my daughter scraping her bicycle against the side of my car it's great <laughs> i kind of feel bad though for my kids because think about it when you were a kid like you could get away with a lot of stuff if your parents didn't see it now i literally have a video camera catching them you know scraping their bike against the side of my car i feel kind of bad they they can't deny it I'm like look i've got video let's come look at it together see how the bike's not supposed to touch the car bad uh yeah so i feel bad but yeah that's that's their that's the non-front door product uh because again I've, after my ipad ipod being stolen out of my car what i really wanted was to see what the deal is and so far no one has come to visit my car as far as i've been able to determine <laughs> also my ipod has not been stolen from my car so yet thumbs up so far yeah uh maybe just the presence of the camera will deter people kind of like those fake uh, uh security signs that you put on your lawn or on your windows when you don't actually have a security <laughs> right. system but this is a real camera uh so it is it is mostly filming my family now but it's fun
2: i thought a lot about what you were saying about getting away with things because Especially when it came to, like, driving. I did terrible things in my 1994—well, actually, it was Dad's 1994 Saturn SL2 that really was not designed to do the terrible things I did with it.
1: Hold that thought. Our next sponsor's automatic.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. But uh, suffice to say, if Find My Friends or whatever was a thing or Glimpse was a thing back when I was 16, I would have had a very different childhood than I did.
1: So our listeners get free F-Saturday FedEx shipping when you go to ring.com slash ATP. That's ring.com slash ATP for free fast shipping. With the Ring video doorbell, you're always home. Thanks a lot to Ring for sponsoring our show.
2: All right. So uh, this was discussed a bit on um, the latest Under the Radar, which I almost accidentally called Under the Weather. Um, But App Store Approval Times... (laughs) You're always
1: making fun of me for being sick. (laughs) I know, seriously. I actually meant to
2: ask you if you were sick right now. Are you sick right now?
1: Um, I think it's on its way out.
2: Okay, so on episode 27 of your Under the Weather program, uh, you discussed fast app review, and it's worth at least quickly touching upon here. Uh, App store review times, which typically hovered at about a week, are now really, really fast. So. Uh, cable sasser tweeted earlier tonight. Um, Logan sent a non-panic app to the Mac App Store at ten thirty. It was in review. I'm assuming that's I am. It was in review at three, rejected for a crash at five thirty. They fixed it, submitted at six thirty, approved at eight o'clock. So in the span of what is that, ten hours, they made two submissions and got their their app approved. That's impressive.
1: And in fact, I can I can also confirm that this morning I submitted an Overcast update. And it was
0: approved and in the store nine hours later. I didn't listen to the uh developing under the weather perspective podcast about this <laughs> but when i when I think about it, a lot of people are asking like oh is does this have to do with Phil Schiller maybe it does so on and so forth like how how is this possible um and there there are so many ways that it could be possible, but the thing the ones that spring to mind to me are you can use heuristics to assess the risk of each application submission and what you can mix into those heuristics are uh how many apps does this developer put in have we had any problems before is this a entirely new app or is this an update to an existing one i mean they can go down to the point where they're doing like binary diffs or something but there's a whole mess of heuristics you can do and of course they're just hiring more people but but this dramatic decrease from like days to hours i don't think you can do that by even like hiring 10 times as many people they must they must be having better rules about like how much do we have to scrutinize this or how much can we automate i mean increased automation is another thing but again it seems like it would have to you know come out of nowhere when when a developer can who's never had any problem this is what we've always been talking about a developer who's never had any problems who's conscientious who's submitting an app that looks fairly straightforward uh to get them through and like like this you know one day turnaround time where you you pass it it gets rejected you fix it you pass it and it goes back out again there's just not enough time in there to do like a you know uh, to give it a huge amount of scrutiny and go through every single screen and you know do all this stuff even automated testing tools could take uh you know you could run through automated testing for a certain amount of time and maybe that wouldn't even fit in this is almost like they're saying this one's probably fine right guys run the fast automated <laughs> tests give it a once over for two seconds and let it sail through which is what developers have been asking they're like and again this wasn't a panic app but panic it was saying like look, look seriously apple uh you know are we bearing malware in our applications like you're never going to catch it if we do anyway so you might as well just accept the reality that the only thing you can really do is assume good intent and punish after the fact Right. Because if you say, oh, we don't like that, that's not a secure way to do it. We want to we want to stop that stuff from getting to the store in the first place. A, that's not possible. And B, it just punishes everybody for the possibility that they might suddenly turn one day and panic becomes infected by malware, even through no fault of their own. Like, say they get hacked and someone sticks malware into the map app. There's only so much of that you can detect in review. So, you know, the, the calculus may be, you know, develop these heuristics so that most normal developers get their We do less. We do less review, basically, for most normal developers and we'll catch them after the fact because history has proven that you catch tons of stuff after the fact anyway tons of things get through even obvious things that that, that should have been caught so why pretend that your entire system is predicated on the idea that we must catch bad things before they get through to the store at all costs and then take a day or a week or whatever to do it so uh, this is definitely awesome and I have to think that it has been uh, that it's happening because they're just getting they're, they're working smarter not harder as they say as the evil bosses say
1: <laughs> Whatever it is, it's dramatic, and yeah, we talked about it a lot on, on Under the Radar uh, last week. Uh, the, the gist of it, basically, I mean, for for those of you who don't know, app review used to take roughly a week. And throughout the entire history of the App Store, going back to 2008, um, there have been a couple of ups and downs here and there, but for the most part, it's been pretty consistent at taking about a week. When you ha- when you when app review goes from taking a week to a day or less. It makes a lot of app review problems less severe and it makes it, it basically lets you iterate faster on your software. And so yes, it does create the potential to kind of play fast and loose and ship more bugs, but it also gives you the ability to fix bugs faster. And so I have to imagine that's going to lead overall to better, quality software and it has certainly led to better quality better developer morale and better developer feelings towards the platform and as the economics have gotten more challenging over the years uh, i think that's something that apple is is right to be apparently focusing on because you know the the app store is it's it's pretty easy to become bitter after a while in the App Store, when you're trying to sell something or trying to make some money, because it just gets harder and harder every year as there's increasing competition from everywhere. And so to have signs that Apple is trying to make our lives better as developers is is very promising. And it, it, this kind of thing is is a huge improvement to being an iOS developer. It's an improvement that I don't think any of us were expecting to ever get. And
0: all of a sudden, it's just kind of here. It's going to be on a slide of WWDC, I would imagine. But yeah, like it's still there. There are still remaining problems. So the, the main one I can think of is you've been developing an app for a while, releasing updates to it on a regular schedule, and then uh, along the way, if you're if you're lucky, just a routine update, but if you're unlucky, a bug fix update gets hung up, as they say. Uh, something fundamental about your app is against the rules and you're like i've been releasing this app for a year i have this is like the 17th update and all of a sudden the major feature of my application is a violation of the guidelines and that's preventing me from getting this bug fix update or this routine update out the door fast review doesn't help that because no matter how fast you iterate on that you still the, the second problem is can i connect to a human being who understands the words that my mouth is making right now like I nothing (laughs) fundamental has changed about my app this app has existed for a long time are you telling me that the end this app is no longer welcome in the store tell me now I will cease development or are you telling me you don't understand something basic about my app and I need to explain it to you and those type of situations with like the wall of silence and just trying to send it back again and again and getting computerized responses fast iteration time doesn't help with that kind of frustration because then you're like blocked on something like I don't understand I'm trying to fix a crashing bug and you're telling me my application that's been on the store for a year is now like illegal for some you know so that frustration can still exist with fast iteration time but boy like marco said having the time get faster whole messes of complaints and things that people like gnashed their teeth about uh, about the app store just go away when the time scales shrink to a single day then it's like a mild annoyance versus like i have to plan my entire business about around allowing for a week to a month of review time which is just just destroys your you know your ability to like just go to market to compete to to to, uh to serve your customers like if there's a problem with the 1.0 and you got to wait a week for the 1.01 boy this if i hope really hope this does stick what
1: will be promising is if apple publicly acknowledges this in in any way at all
0: wwc man you think they're not going to brag about this how can they not there's going to be a graph right
1: but if they (laughs) if they don't mention it at all it it could plausibly be like a fluke
0: <laughs> it was an accident someone was just hitting the approve button repeatedly like the little, <laughs> the little drinking bird from the simpsons i understood that reference <laughs> me too i told you it was from the simpsons though yeah I, but I, then again I, I keep giving you the references uh, you're like oh is that from the simpsons well you had i mean we know <sighs> what
1: the drinking bird is separately i know i know i know so you kind of had it just to sounds,
0: it just sounds weird to me
2: <laughs> Golly, you're like a show business mom man you're impossible to please no
0: wire hangers <laughs> That, that one I didn't get. Nope. That's not a show business, Mom, though, no. is it? Is that... That was uh, Mommy Dearest, but I don't think it was a show biz angle on that. Yeah, it went right over my head.
2: And everything right. is back to normal again.
0: <laughs> Our next sponsor this week
1: is Automatic. Now, chances are your car has not fully kept up with technology. This is where Automatic comes in. Automatic is a small adapter that turns any car into a connected smart car. Just plug in the Automatic into the same port that your mechanic uses to diagnose engine problems. Usually it's in the uh, the footwell area and this opens up a world of possibilities. Now Automatic lets you keep track of your fuel mileage, vehicle health, uh, lets you expense business trips with one tap and link your car to the connected devices that power your life. So What does that check engine light actually mean? Automatic can tell you through your phone before you even have to go to the shop. It can also integrate with your Nest thermostat to know when you're home. And it can provide the answer to one of life's most common questions. Dude, where's my car? (laughs) <laughs> Automatic works on nearly every car made after 1996. It, it takes only minutes to install and connects to your iPhone or Android device over Bluetooth. This gives you real-time performance data, all the diagnostic stuff I mentioned earlier. It can even use intelligent coaching to maximize your fuel economy and reduce wear and tear. So, for example, you can say, if I am getting fuel economy below this target that I want to hit, beep at me or tell me so that I can like you know adjust the habit I'm doing if... I just gave my my teenage son, Casey, the car for the night, and Casey (laughs) decides to drive super fast. I can have a report of that.
2: A 1994 Saturn SL2 does never go, it never goes fast. It just goes. Quicker than the roads intended. That's all.
1: All right. Uh, they also have uh, a web app dashboard that provides granular information, lets you import and export data, uh, gives you the plain English explanations for your check-, check engine light. They also have this incredible app platform. Now, when you have smarts and you have connectivity, you can have integration. So I mentioned earlier the Nest integration. There's also integration with UR Mechanic, FreshBooks, and more. You can file business expenses with popular apps like Concur and Expensify. And it works with IFTTT for even more possibilities to integrate your car into your digital life it supports apple watch it supports pebble watches and all this is available for no monthly fees and no subscriptions and they never sell your data that's not their business their business is selling you the automatic device so the automatic device uh, is normally 99.95 100 bucks but when you use our special offer code atp0315 You'll save twenty percent. So that makes it just eighty bucks with code ATP0315. So go to automatic.com slash ATP and use offer code ATP0315 to save twenty percent off the regular purchase price. It gets it to you for just eighty bucks. That's automatic.com slash ATP. Thanks a lot for supporting the show.
2: All right. So Google IO's keynote was today and I actually watched it, uh, which is the first time I think I've ever watched a Google I.O. keynote. But now that I'm in this whole brand new world where I work alongside Android developers and they were really into it and uh, they did what I usually do for Apple keynotes. And we all piled in a conference room and they put it on the uh, big screen and we watched it together. And it was pretty good all in all. And we'll go through each thing, you know, in a moment. But. I was impressed. I had heard rumblings and um, in, in descriptions of past Google IOs that they were meandering and long and often boring, much like the tail end of the last WWDC keynote, and <laughs> so uh, and a total disaster, kind of like the end of the last WWDC keynote. And
1: well, so I am curious. I was talking about this uh, recently with Tiff. Which do you think was the worst moment in recent Apple keynote memory? Was it? the Apple Music introduction or the U2 album Finger Touch thing.
0: Oof. Well, Finger Touch was nothing compared to the end of last year's WRC. Are you kidding? Finger Touch was a brief moment, kind of silly, excusable by celebrity. The other was just interminable watching Eddie Q vamp and then having to have Drake be up there and just ramble, and it was, it was bad. But and to it keep in like-
1: mind, though, I think contributing to the other side of the argument, though, is like the Finger Touch was part of a very, very awkward moment yes, that then was. also led into this giant thing nobody wanted which is like everybody getting this album pushed it was into fine. their
0: it was fine you oh, like you too yeah, it doesn't matter and even if you don't it was fine it was a, it was a fumble but who cares they gave you free stuff and it took up space in your phone and they gave you a way to opt out of it and it was silly but like you're talking about the keynote itself finger touch is nothing
2: i don't know man i'm kind of with marco on this i think it was an approximately equivalent amount of awkward it's just that the density in the finger touch was considerable <laughs> if, Whereas, if we have to
0: make you watch one of those things over again if you have to watch the finger touch you have to watch the entire eddie q and drake segment which do you choose would i have to watch the youtube performance before the finger touch Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, i think it's included maybe I mean, it, I don't know if you're including the musical performance. There's been a long line of musical performance that people don't care. about. I, I was trying. <laughs> I put all these notes in here about Google I/O because I was trying not to talk about the, the showmanship or compare it to Apple because the outdoor thing, the, the set decoration on that stage was not good. Well, I hold on, think, can we
2: can we paint a word picture, please?
0: I don't want to paint the word picture. I got to bring up the. I thought I had the video out here. Somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what their decorating theme was. Was it like Neither material material chaos? Was that was that <laughs> the theme of the stage? Because I can see the material design colors kind of, I can see that theme uh, and you kind of saw it echoed in their slides, but the, the set design for the stage just was not aesthetically pleasing and didn't enhance. They had these enhance their presentation. They had these bright colored lights underneath the screen. Like, I just want to focus on your content. The content I thought was pretty good, uh, and I really liked a lot of the things they announced. But the set decoration was gross. But anyway, my point is, I don't want to talk about the set decoration or how polished the presenters were, or whether or not uh, Drake wore a vintage Apple jacket while he said nothing of interest, or <laughs> if Eddie Q danced. Um, you have to give Google that. Oh, and he other did try to dance. He right? did. Anyway, um, I want to talk about the products because I thought, thought there was a lot of cool stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was there was Siri, there was the Echo. Oh, there don't even try! FaceTime. Don't even try
0: to say they're just doing things that other people are doing because that is a ridiculous <laughs> argument. That is uh, the only thing I give you that on is split screen because uh, I was really expecting them to have something more than exactly what Apple has split screen and picture in picture. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, but
2: yeah, there that's not an exact Apple rip. Uh, I actually I give them an okay on that. But um, we will go in the order of the show notes, and it begins with Google Home, which is the Amazon Echo slash Alexa product, but Google?
1: See, this actually, like, I'm... This might be really good. It's obviously a big risk, you know, because, first of all, it's Google doing its own hardware, and their record for that is about as good as Amazon's record is for, the, for Amazon doing its own hardware. So, like, they have had some things that have worked. Some of the Nexuses have been decent, uh, but a lot of their stuff has been
0: flops. Uh, and so it's, it, it, it's, it's a huge wild card. Let's separate the flop from as in they don't sell a lot of them from uh, is the hardware actually good? Because I think Google has probably done multiples of both. Like I think that ball thing, I don't know if it ever shipped or whatever, but that was like not a good idea. Yeah, but a lot Q- of the things they make don't sell a lot, but it's not like they're bad. I mean, I don't think they sell, uh, I don't know, even like the Chromebook Pixel. How many Chromebook Pixels do they sell? I don't know. But the hardware wasn't terrible, right? And the- No, not at all. I thought the hardware looked great. Uh, and the same thing, and you know, the tablets and all the Nexus phones, especially like the Nexus phones didn't sell that many, you know, I think Google thought they were going to sell more than they did, and then the other vendors took over. But the hardware they actually make, I don't think is bad hardware. So I have some vague hope that this little uh, squat little weeble that's their uh, Amazon <laughs> Echo competitor.
2: Everything is a weeble to you.
0: It's shaped like a weeble. They, they wobble, they don't fall down, right? <laughs>
2: How many times have you made that joke on our shows? But
0: uh, <laughs> you people need to know about the Weebles. Oh, Please my God. don't make me tell you again about the Weebles. Um, but no, this is this is literally Weeble-shaped, right? It's fat on the bottom, and it like, anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I, I have some faith that the hardware will be okay. I don't think that's been the problem with Google's hardware products is that the hardware is bad. I feel like they've just, you know fallen down another route like the the google tv stuff i mean maybe you know that ridiculous remote was it was it made badly no it was just a bad idea so if it's a good idea then i feel like they can make it uh, you know reasonably well i i think i have i've seen no reason why this device shouldn't sell uh just as well as the amazon echo unless the amazon echo has already tied up that entire market which is possible but other than that the people who bought the echo why wouldn't they buy this too it's it's like the same thing yeah i mean really like This
1: kind of thing is the kind of thing that Google should be really good at, and again, this isn't to say that they definitely will, but I think the they clearly are likely to succeed here because it combines the types of things they're really good at with the kind of market that they can get in and succeed in, which is like so far mostly like a a a geeky market, uh, a very tech savvy market of people who have like smart home stuff. The main problem they're going to have is. There is the lack of retail presence because, like you know, we've seen like Amazon is so powerful. Amazon is the place where most people would go to buy this kind of thing. So, and and I'm sure Amazon's not going to be too happy to carry it, or if they do carry it, they're certainly not going to ever promote it. Um, but I, I'm guessing they won't carry it at all. So this is going to be interesting um, to see how Google can try to market this and 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 sell the crap out of this because from a technical perspective, Google should be better than Amazon at this stuff. I don't know that they will be, but they should be.
0: Yeah. I I I, ex- I expect them to be yeah. better because, I mean, the only thing I feel like they might not be better at is maybe this is their first try at putting something out that has 10 microphones and all sorts of noise canceling stuff. So maybe Amazon. Well, It was Amazon's first bit, try and they got it right. I know. I know. But they, it's been out for a while and the quality is really good. So I think they, they basically that Amazon hit it out of the park in that particular feature. Right. Um, so i don't think that's a given for your first try i think amazon did a really good job with does this thing understand me from across the room google says they do a good job with that but they like amazon had an exemplary first try right and they have the second and third try with the dot and all that other whatever the the derivative products but i think they did a really good job but other than that everything else about this google i think should be better and will be better like Things that you can say to it, natural language processing, back-end querying. The only thing Amazon's going to be better at is buying stuff, right? Because they have them. But every, <laughs> every other part of it, Google damn well better be better than Amazon at it because you know, Amazon doesn't have any of the, the, the strength behind it to do all the language processing and search querying and the deep hooks into all that type of stuff. Um, and the, the thing that really blew me away about this demo was Well, A, thinking about why the hell does Apple not have one of these things yet? I guess maybe it's beneath their concern. But B, when they did the thing like uh, the kids talking to it and doing the conversation, says, show me on the TV. It's like, that is an Apple move. How can we do that? Because we make a TV device. And of course, our little Weeble knows about the TV. The Chromecast attached to TV. Show me on the TV. Like, that is the, the type of thing we used to have to be in the Apple ecosystem for, which is, oh, I have tons of Apple crap around the house. And they all know about each other. And they all just work together. Uh, and it's, it's like airplay to your Apple TV. The first time that worked, it was like, Oh, well, this is amazing because I have these two Apple devices. It's really easy to put video up on my TV. Well, and it's the yeah.
2: only time that worked.
0: Yeah, I know. But am was kidding. I'm that kidding. was the first time. you know. <laughs> it, was, it was impressive the first time. And yet, this is Google saying, hey, we actually have stuff around here. That, and they, they put the little Nest icon on there to say connect to your thermostat. And, and third-party, they integrate with your third-party lights and, and stuff like that. They're not being like Apple, where it only work, it would only work with your Apple lights or whatever. They're all big on third-party integration. They already announced an API, which we still don't have for Siri for, for developers. Uh, unless... Unless Google Home, unless this is the Nest Hub that we read about and all those tell-all articles about Nest, about how Nest was going down in flames and everything was breaking, I really hope this is not the long-delayed hub uh, from the Nest people because a dysfunctional organization is not going to make a good product. But assuming this is made by a functioning organization, uh, I I think this will be an impressive product. and I, I think I might actually get one. I've been holding off on the Echo just because it's a first-generation product or whatever. Uh, but if this gets really good reviews, I think the reason I will buy it is because I basically I have more faith in google than amazon in terms of uh supporting and evolving this product and being good at at the more interesting sophisticated parts of it
1: well the 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 downside though i mean the kind of argument to that first of all there is this the big privacy question which we should address um, because a lot of people uh like you know i was one of these people i i freaked out when amazon released released the echo and i was like you're gonna you know you're gonna let amazon put a speaker and a microphone in your house is listening to everything you say all the time. And similarly, you know, when Google bought Nest, everyone's like you're going to ha- you-, you want Google to own this thermostat that can like look in your house and stuff and and there's a lot of people, my past self included, who are uncomfortable with that and and they're just not going to want that product in their house and that's fine. That's you know, that's your decision if you know, for me, what tipped the scale is what every Google fan usually says when, when asked about privacy things, which is basically what tipped the scale for me when, with letting the Amazon Echo in my house was uh, I saw how good it was uh, at other people's houses, like I saw how good it was, and I decided, you know what, it's worth the trade-off. Uh, I'll take the risk. I'll put this thing in my kitchen because it is so good that it's worth the trade-off. And this is the same thing that most Google people say when you know when they say you know when, when, if people like me ask them like you know why do you want Google to have access to all your data and to be analyzing everything you do and and selling ads against it and everything and the answer I get most commonly is well it's worth it to me because it's convenient and these features are things that I want so I've made that decision and you know I can't really argue with that if you know if you decide it's worth it to you then it's worth it to you.
0: I have a, just to, to, to clarify uh where I fall on that uh I don't see it as a trade-off as in like okay well there are detriments but there are benefits I mean i know the trade-off is there but like I would put it more succinctly for myself is that basically I trust Google like I don't trust them with everything I don't trust them like implicitly I don't give them all of my trust but in the grand scheme of things I trust Apple and I trust Google to basically be companies that are trying to do the right thing and are not like just inherently evil like I don't know insert the name of your favorite company although it's it's weird that I was just about to say oracle but (laughs) <laughs> don't read anything into that. Anyway, I mean, I would trust
1: Google before I trust
0: Facebook. Oh yeah, great example, right? Or even I, I trust Amazon, you know, for the most part. Uh, and again, I don't trust them entirely. I, you have to be vigilant and so on and so forth. Don't say, "Oh, I just trust them to listen to everything in my house." And they're never going to do anything evil. Never going to sell me the advertisers. Like I trust them in that. I kind of I know what they're going to do. I know what they're about. But in general, still, the company seems to me to be mostly trying to do the right thing. And as long as you understand their business and how much advertising is a part of it and what is probably going to happen to all your data. Uh, and the fact that the U S government is probably going to have hooks into all this stuff and they're not going to tell you about like, as long as you go in with a clear head, the bottom line is that I, I, I trust that this is not, I'm not like backdooring my entire house forever and ever. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, and I wouldn't install a device from a company that I trusted less or a company that was less competent or more likely to go out of business or more likely to get to do something in desperation for money. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things uh, for me in favor of Google. So yes, it is a trade-off, but mostly what it comes down to is that, uh, you know, I trust Google enough to put something like this in my house.
2: Yeah. You know, um, I spoke about, I think, uh, that I am a brand new Google photos user And the more I use this app, both the web app and the native apps the more I like it and the more it amazes me and, and quickly during the, the keynote they said oh and you know Google Photos does some incredible things and I think it's what 200 million active users on it or something like that whatever the number is but you can even search for something like hugs and of course in the room I'm in it was half Android developers or mostly Android developers and a couple of others and so I immediately hopped on Google Photos and typed in hugs and sure enough there are a bunch of people hugging each other like usually Aaron and me and Declan that show up immediately Like the stuff that Google Photos does is amazing. And seeing how good it is makes me wonder, man, if they're this good with photos, I wonder how good they would be with this Google Home thing. So I agree with you, John, that this the, the Google Photos has kind of been my gateway drug back into Google. Like I still use Gmail for both work and personal mail, but that's just kind of a thing in the background i don't ever use the web app it's all just basically imap to me but man google photos has really changed my tune as to how i think about google these days and i'm i'm giving some serious positive side eye to this google home thing because it's aesthetically pleasing uh be that be it a weeble or not it still looks good and i'm tentatively interested in in what this brings in a way that i haven't really been in the echo
0: and not not to bring this back to to food again but they here we go yeah one of the demos (laughs) they did show was talking to maybe this was yeah i think this was in this one talking about uh i think it gets into the aloe thing later but uh it's all tied up in the same sort of natural language uh processing type where they're asking questions of these products and having it do things for you and they always want to demo those because they always want to show i think they had the video of like an entire family talking to the to the google home device which is a little bit overblown because like you know the impression you get is this entire family spends its entire day living in the same house but all all their their words are addressed towards the inanimate object instead of the other people which i you know you kind of get that because you have to you have to fit in lots of examples of uses in a single you know two minute commercial and anyway that, that aside a lot of what the things they're doing is trying to sell the fantasy that it's like a personal assistant where a flight is delayed and you want to move your dinner reservations and you would just want it to handle things for you and i st- i think those make for good good demos but also bad demos because i think they raise expectations unreasonable levels because every time they do something like that i see sort of like scrolling down the side of my virtual screen like all the cascading number of assumptions that are in there that your restaurant has an open table reservation that it understands that you know that the restaurant thing you're talking about that 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 it knows about your flight that you know like that you didn't use a different email address for this that it wasn't sent to a different person that like that it just so many things have to go right for that to work and they make it seem like you don't have to worry about or care about those, but you do because if you're flying on an airline that doesn't have integration in the same way, or you want to go to a restaurant that doesn't support open table or you something was done on a spouse's account and not yours. So you're talking to it, but it doesn't understand uh, it doesn't know anything about that flight because it's done through a different Google ID or, you know, like so many possible things can go wrong to make that not work. And when they do go wrong, even in the slightest way, it's like the old, uh, you know, give up and use tables website. It's like, if anything goes wrong at all, all right, forget (laughs) it. I'll just do it on my phone or I'll sit down in front of the computer because there's no way I'm trying to have an argument and getting into the text adventure syntax game with this thing. So, it all looks magical. (laughs) And, And the same thing with like ordering food. Oh, the food will be waiting for you to get home. Food from where? You want curry? It found an Indian restaurant? You're just accepting the restaurant that it gave you? What if you don't like that restaurant? Does it learn which restaurant you like? Does it like... They're, they're still, this is so primitive where it's not, it, I don't feel like it's going to help me with my life unless I just don't care where things come from, want the most generic things, like I wanted to know. I always get Indian food from this place. Um, or if it's not sure, or they should ask me, do you want to get it from the place you got it last time? And this is all predicated on the fact that it can order from those places. You probably can't because your favorite Indian place has no idea what computers are and they only take cash. And it's it, it just doesn't, we're not there yet. And these ads make it seem like they are there, but I don't know anybody, except like Mike Mattis, maybe, who can actually live this life, (laughs) like, where you just talk into the air, and everything you do is exactly integrated, and, well, he wouldn't like it either, because he would have to know exactly where everything's coming from. You can't, you can't just say, order me Indian food. Is this safe, Casey? Can we talk about Indian food? You can't just say, order me Indian food, and they'll be waiting for you, and you'll be happy? Order what? What do you want to order from where? Like, (laughs) it, uh, it just... It, it grinds my gears to see that but anyway i i do have confidence that google is going to be better at this natural language stuff than amazon just because they have so many smart people doing this and amazon probably has a smaller slightly smaller number of smart people doing this well but amazon has has i think two big strengths i mean number one first
1: of all as i mentioned they have massive retail power here to push these things and by all accounts the echo ha- probably already has a a a decent size install base, so that's that's you know barrier number one for Google to try to overcome. You know you can you can overcome like the head start the Echo has gotten with a good product, but it's going to be really hard to overcome the massive retail and promotional advantage. You know just ask just ask anybody who has tried to make a successful technically advanced e-reader in the last you know eight years or so.
0: But they, uh, Google has a big in there because Google Home. Who cares if the little turd that's now turd downgraded from Weeble ever sell because all this (laughs) the same thing is all powered by the whole google assistant thing and that's going to be on all their phones and they have a ton of phones so that is their that is their wedge basically like look maybe the home never beats out the echo but if we can make this a thing on all of our phones so that you know the the 50 plus of the world that has android smartphones gets used to using this on their phones then they'll still win because again the phone is going to swamp how many people bought a little silly c- cylinder. Even if people are just shouting across the room to their phones, and people start adding multiple microphones on phones. So you're right that it is a barrier, but Google already has like a beachhead there. They they have a way around. Like I think Google cares less whether Google Home succeeds than whether this assistive technology becomes sort of what Google is known for in the modern era instead of just web search. That's fair. Well, so and so the other the other all um, the other I think advantage that Amazon has right
1: now is that. The Echo is not trying to be that kind of like super smart fantasy California land. Uh, you know, order me Indian food, and it just magically does exactly the right thing you want. Like the Echo is more like a really simple command line, and once you learn the relatively small uh, vocabulary and and syntax that it, that it supports, it's incredibly reliable at doing those things. And so it's, I think. While it might at first have a slightly higher learning curve for like, you know, day one, two, three, uh, I think once you get past the very, very initial part of it, I would say the Echo is actually easier to use. Because once you figure out things, the kind of things that work with it, those things work incredibly reliably. And so that's that's the challenge that anybody has come into this. Like, I think Siri doesn't do as well at that because Siri tries to do more. It doesn't
0: have an API.
1: That, that too. Siri tries to do more, but it doesn't... Um, it's, it doesn't really do any of them reliably enough. It, and it's hard to know before you, before you ask Siri something. It's hard to know whether you will succeed or not. Whereas with the Echo, it's, you, you, you figure it out within a few days. You figure out, like, okay, this is the kind of thing that will succeed. This is the kind of thing that won't. Um, Google is r- obviously trying to be very ambitious with, with the kinds of things that, that their thing can do, that Google Home can do. We will see if it works. I think if anybody can do that kind of complexity, it's them. So it might work. To me, I think the biggest risk for buying into the Google Home ecosystem is whether Google themselves will lose interest or it will fail within a few years. Because you know their track record for that isn't great either. Um, if something is not working, they're the first ones to to kill it. Usually, um, just don't tell them that Feedburner is still running because I think they thought I think they forgot about it. But anyway, you know Google is. They, if you look at the history of like various initiatives they've had, various like big platforms they've tried to launch, um, it's it's littered, it's it's a huge graveyard of uh, stuff they've shut down. So but that's
2: no different than Amazon.
1: Well, that's true, but if they try this out, if it doesn't get very far in the market, it's, you know they could choose to fight harder and to keep it going or to shut it down. So and if you if you like bought the wrong hardware and they shut yours down like that kind of sucks. It's kind of like a format uh-huh. war going on.
0: But don't you think there's this has a big advantage in that the underlying technology was underlying this and Allo and all that stuff. The underlying sort of machine intelligence, natural language processing, speech interface, that I feel like is a core technological effort at google that is not going away like 100 percent guaranteed not going away right now the individual products you're right maybe they get to google home and it ends up like oh we have the second version and it's not compatible and you're stuck with some bad hardware and they eventually stop supporting it i could totally see that happening that's a danger in any sort of product like this and they're you know historically like i said have not been particularly good about preserving that but uh, if you're going to have any faith in any kind of product efforts it's not going to be like the the weather balloons that give you wi-fi or the uh, self-driving cars it's going to be the natural extension of basically the google's core product which is search which is taking that to the next level also because it ties into advertising if you're going to be honest like why would google stick with this type of effort a they've been doing it for years right and b it totally fits with web search both web search and advertising so i have to think that this effort will continue to go on and if these products are like that they will iterate on them that they will they will make future versions of it and then we'll keep going. And there is a still a slim chance that you buy some hardware. It might be orphaned because they bail on that and have a new iteration with a new name or whatever. But I really think this is not um, esoteric or uh, uh, in, in fear of being a flash in the pan simply because it just reads so much as Google to be and not tangential. Like I feel like this is if you were to, to say, "What does Google look like 50 years in the future? It looks less like type things in text boxes and more like a much better version of this because it's just such a natural extension.
2: Yeah and certainly uh what was it machine learning was uh their version of customer sat like if we were doing a drinking game and machine learning caused you to drink you would have been under the table after the first 20 minutes because that's all we heard about and i mean apple has its own foibles in very similar ways like customer sat but machine learning was all over this keynote and i agree with you john that that seems to be where they're pushing as a company is is trying to leverage that machine learning in in any possible way that they can and in some of those ways like i've been talking about with google photos and with google home i think it looks really promising and really really interesting
0: yeah and like it's it's their what is their 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 logo or their motto or vision statement or whatever like organizing the world's information They've been slowly but steadily doing that over the course of many, many years trying to get semantics into the information so it un- understands not just like, oh, this word appears there and these people link to that page, but understanding what the information is that it's actually looking at. So that's how it can do that photo stuff. That photo stuff doesn't just come out of nowhere because they did a one-year project to uh, do it. That's based on years and years of research outside google and within and just working on it working on their their language parsing they'd open source that big uh you know natural language processing uh thing and uh image recognition and, and stuff with robotics like this is all about taking in information and then developing a, an understanding of it that can be encoded by computers so the computers can act on it so it's not just text so that they understand the, the meaning behind things so once you have even the barest meaning uh, or the barest sort of sensory perception of like, is this a car? Is this a hug? Uh, What language is this in? What do the words mean? Uh, That previous sentence when they said he in the next sentence, what are they talking about? Like it's really basic stuff conceptually, but it's really hard to do for computers. And they're doing it on such a massive scale that that, that effort and that research just is going to underlie all their products from, from here going forward. And maybe they're going to hit that inflection point where suddenly it becomes acceptable and uh and like it, it passes the barrier from tech curiosity that we're all impressed by that but then only nerds really use to just a normal thing that everybody does uh we may be getting close to that if only because people don't like typing stuff i saw someone tweeting when the, the io thing was going on like how many people will they'll see interacting with their android phones or their you know ios devices purely by speech even though a computer nerd looking at them would just cringe at how incredibly inefficient it is to essentially be arguing with your phone and saying things over and over again and trying to type things just 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 give me your phone let me show you how to do this but people prefer it even when it's totally broken and crappy and doesn't work right just because it's more comfortable for them so i think we're probably closer to the inflection point where most people use what will continue to be the most massively inefficient way to do anything especially when it has any sort of error simply because it's just more comfortable for them Uh, than trying to figure out what things to tap on or what to type
1: our final sponsor this week is pingdom Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com ATP. Pingdom makes the web faster and more reliable for everyone by offering powerful, easy-to-use monitoring tools and services for anybody with a website. By using Pingdom, you can, for example, monitor availability and performance on your server, database, or website from more than 70 global test servers. They can emulate visits to your site to check its availability as often as every minute. You can monitor the availability of key interactions such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logging in, searching and a lot more. I have used Pingdom to monitor the stuff I do since 2007. All Tumblr, all of Instapaper, all of Overcast, and Market.org the entire time. It is great. It alerts me whenever anything is out. I've, I, I usually do two alert levels. I do one called Vitals, which is I have all the servers report their like, disk space and free memory and everything. So then I have like a low alert level for Oh, you know what? This you know one of the five web servers is not re- is not responding, or this server has has very low disk space, or something, and that just sends me emails and uh, notifications, and then I have another alert level if the whole site is down. That sets off the alarm bells. That sends me text messages. That is like you know loud notifications. It's like the different level of alerts uh, with Pingdom. I've also used it in the past to do things like. Like monitor the uh, Apple WBDC website to, to see when WBDC was announced every year uh, because it would monitor the page for changes. <laughs> so you don't actually have to own the sites you're monitoring with Pingdom. Uh, it's great. I recommend Pingdom. I use it myself. I have used it literally since 2007. Uh, so I've used it now for nine years And uh, I will continue using it because it is awesome. I used it before they were a sponsor. Now they are a sponsor. That's amazing. So anyway, give Pingdom a URL to monitor and uh, optional conditions to check for uh, or to just check whether something's up. And when they detect an outage, you are alerted immediately. So you can fix the problem before it becomes a much bigger and more costly outage. You should not be learning that your site is down from people on Twitter. That's embarrassing. It's unprofessional. (laughs) Be the first to know with Pingdom. And then you can fix your site before too many customers or readers see it. Check it out today. Go to pingdom.com slash slash ATP for a 14-day free trial and get 20% off your first invoice by using offer code ATP. Thanks to Pingdom for sponsoring our show. Uh, let's talk about hello, Governor. Oh, geez. Uh, you
0: so wanted to say that.
1: I know you so wanted
0: to
2: say it. I did. I did. The, the, this is going
1: to be the week of bad podcast British accents. It, hey, hey oh, At least yeah.
0: they didn't put an apostrophe before the A. <laughs> That's
1: true. That's true. <laughs> Although uh, it,
0: it reminds me a lot of Ello. That that weird social network that didn't go anywhere.
1: It still spams me every every few days with something. Yeah, you
0: unsubscribed. Unsubscribed unsubscribe for all those.
1: I have.
2: <laughs> anyway, so Google Lo is the uh, iMessage knockoff, but with a lot more. It's not just It's, just it's a not straight... an iMessage
0: knockoff. It's like a Line knockoff or a WhatsApp yeah, knockoff. That's or, fair. It's it's much more like the the much more sophisticated messaging apps that are used outside the Apple ecosystem. It's got stickers for crying out loud. fair enough big text
2: yeah so actually that was a very interesting interaction so they went i forget which person was presenting was this the uh, british woman that was presenting at this point um in any case somebody whoever was presenting was talking about how uh there are times when you want to kind of shout in a text message conversation there's times where you kind of want to whisper and so they allow you to change the font size within uh, Allo, which in and of itself doesn't seem that impressive, but I thought the interaction was pretty cool where on iOS in the messages app, you have a little microphone icon and you can swipe up and down to like uh, send an audio message. What they do is they if you tap and hold roughly where our microphone icon is, it'll let you kind of drag a slider up and down to change the the size of the font which i thought again was a very clever well, interaction there's
0: so many things wrong with that from a usability perspective that i can't even, like and from a taste perspective like this is just such a, a totally a google thing to do where someone thinks it's a cool feature and it seems like they don't think quite enough about the implications both aesthetically where you can make really ugly Look, even the demo screenshots were looking really ugly and i was thinking to myself not that there's anything wrong with ugly and garish like if that's the aesthetic you're going for but i was thinking like <laughs> this, is the op- this is the opposite of the apple aesthetic and, and it can be more fun like the apple aesthetic can be boring right you know oh everything is all helvetica and everything's the same size and everything is sort of clean and buttoned down like i you know i'm not i'm not slamming it i'm really not like but i i saw it i'm like wow this is definitely something that apple wouldn't do and for the shouting fine fun make your text bigger it's fun to shout so on and so forth whispering not good for usability you telling me i can make the text microscopic boy yeah my my uh, aged relatives will love to squint at that when i oh you don't understand <laughs> grandma I'm whispering no you can't i mean maybe it's overridable at the local level but it just doesn't make for a good demo because the obvious question which is really i can make text so small that my recipient can't even read it and has to squint that's the question in people's minds if they're looking at it from an accessibility perspective so just throw a sentence out there that says the thing that i really hope is true which is like oh and of course the recipient can set a minimum font size you know like whatever you have to say address the we'll get to this later with some more stuff from the uh the knock knock uh duo uh what do you call it uh video conferencing thing like if there's an obvious there should be an obvious question in most people's minds about the feature you're doing Throw out a sentence or two to reassure us that the feature that you surely added to account for this is there. Because if you don't say it, we're left to think that you haven't thought of it. And even if that's not true, it gives a bad impression. And in in this case, I don't trust Google to think these things because they very often do things that, like, you know, the the company's persona is that of uh, an, an individual that doesn't account for the variety of different kinds of people and lives that are out there. And I know they're fighting very hard against that and I know it's kind of unfair, but a lot of times I see Google do things with obvious problems that I assume that they have accounted for, then they release a product and I say, Oh, they didn't account for that. And in fact it seems like they didn't even think of that. And they'll fix it after the fact to their credit. And it's not like they're trying to to do something wrong, but sometimes they drop the ball. So I'm saying Google, in your presentations for the foreseeable future, when you Show a feature that has obvious problems throughout two... Or th- Apple does this all the time. Show two or three words to say, oh, and of course, don't worry about this because we handled it in an X, Y way, like in the obvious way, right? Because I don't think, for me anyway, they get the past of making me think that they thought of that.
2: Yeah, I think that's understandable. We should also talk about the predictive replies uh, or suggested replies with ding, machine learning, ding. Um, that seems... <laughs> weird to me and i have very conflicting thoughts about this which is actually kind of a theme for most of what i what i thought of google io but it seemed odd to me to have uh suggested replies on a phone or a tablet where it's relatively easy to type like i don't have i don't really have a problem with it on the apple watch partially because it's so terrible and partially because partially (laughs) because you can't exactly type on an apple watch and we're going to get to that later as well hopefully but On a device where there's some reasonable approximation of a keyboard, it just seems insensitive. Like one of the examples they used was like a picture of a kid. Oh, how cute was one of the replies. Like, I don't know, that just seems insensitive or or cold to me. Well
0: so here here's an example, a great follow-up from what I said. Here's an example where they did realize what the obvious objection to this feature would be and address it with a sentence or two. So the obvious objection from the demos is like I would never tap any of those circles because all of them sound like inane things like that. that, That's not how I communicate. Right. Just like you were saying, it's like, really? Oh, how cute am I going to send that? Like or it's going to look like a form letter or it's going to look like a a canned reply. You know, similar complaints about the inbox uh, software that they have for auto replying to emails and stuff like that. That's the obvious objection to any sort of, hey, we'll figure out what you were going to reply and give it to you in a box, right? And they addressed it immediately with a single sentence, which may or you know, may or may not actually address the issue in the product, but they're saying, oh, and don't worry, we will learn from what you actually reply and suggest things that are essentially things that you have said before or that are otherwise in your voice. Now, will they be successful at that? Will they just literally have replies I've had before and it'll sound dumb and none of the, none of the boxes will look right? But at least they understand that they can't suggest replies without taking what you how you actually communicate as an input. And so they said, "No, that's exactly what we're doing." Now, again, they can do a bad job of it and it'll still be a stupid feature that that people will want to turn off, but if they do a good job of it, it's like, "Yes, that's exactly what I want." I want you to watch how I type to people and preferably how I communicate with different people. How do I reply to my mom versus my wife versus my friend? You know what I mean? That's machine learning, and again, they keep leaning on that. Hopefully, that's what they're aiming for. They're not saying, "Oh, we're just going to yeah, give you a bunch of can replies like the apple watch does or, or probabilistically try to make a reply that would make some sense you know apple watch is not learning how i reply it has no way to learn from how I reply. apple doesn't have that information or whatever but uh google at least says this is what we're trying to do and i really hope they do because that's that's the dream right
2: yeah that's fair um they also have plenty of third-party integrations in lo and I initially was really keen on this. So I forget the exact example they used, but say you're talking with your wife about where you want to go to dinner. And, you know, so I'm talking to Aaron about it and she says, Oh, would you like pizza? And I say, yes, I'd love some CCs. Then it will try to figure out some sort of contextually relevant information. Like if it's something nicer than CCs, Oh, can I get your reservation or perhaps here's directions there, etc. cetera. And, on the at first, I thought, "Oh wow, that's super convenient, really useful." But then I thought about it, and I thought, "I don't know if I'd really want that in an iMessage conversation, which obviously you know is approximately the equivalent with Aaron." Like that just seems weird to me, and and I can't, I haven't put my finger on which one I think more.
0: Well, it's great that they kept leaning on this, and I think it is a great feature, is that you don't have to leave the app. This frustrates me when I'm on my phone communicating with somebody that I have to, like, wait, let me go Google that, or, you know, wait, (laughs) let me go to this other app to do the thing. Having everything in line... One aspect of it is like, do I want the other person to see sort of the research I'm doing here? Do I want to share these things? That's questionable, debatable, although if you're trying to decide in restaurants, maybe they do want to see them so you don't have to describe the restaurants or type them all in. Um, so I can see the deciding what to share versus what's your own. But the big advantage that, app, that Google was selling and that I think is a real advantage is you don't have to switch to 15 different apps. You can get it all done here, mostly because sort of the power of Google is showing through inside this chat application. Uh, we will do all the searching and the pulling of the search results in, in smart ways and even the ordering and the making the reservation. And again, it falls back on like that's a, a silly scenario unless everything in your life is integrated with Google and all the things you care about have third party integration. But hey, at least they have third party integrations and if third parties <laughs> really care about this. They can integrate it. and if a restaurant really cares and wants to sell to tech nerds in the San Francisco area, they can integrate with it. It doesn't help most of the rest of the country whose favorite restaurants are not integrated in this way, but at least maybe you can get directions to them, assuming that Google has accurate information for where they are. Um, So uh, this one is a little bit fantasy, but Google is doing all the right things. And I think making people not leave the app is actually the right thing. It's just difficult to draw that line of how much crap do I need the other person to see versus how much stuff do I need to see to make a decision. Yep.
2: They also allow you to play what they called the emoji game in line So if you get bored talking to your spouse, you can play the guess the movie title by emojis game, which strikes me as the um, what do they call it? Digital touch uh, features on the
0: Apple Watch. Uh, but, But it's not, though, because this was just their sort of like Hello World example program. The idea is that again, third parties can make actual fun games with this API. This is more like, see, it's it's like making an uh, you know an echo server for demonstrating your like simple you know server side concurrency framework, right? It just echoes back whatever you put in. It's not a real thing. It's an API, and they fully expect people to make real fun games out of this. And you know, integrations with third party products, games that lead you to third party products, like there are many opportunities for both advertising and commerce uh integrated into this and so i i think i think showing that and by the way on stage essentially saying shall we play a game to your computer is not a good move <laughs> and it's not a good look so maybe stay away from that um but the the big thing i think they weren't selling is that we didn't just make a chat app that has some features in this version of android this is now another platform for you to target all your stuff at you people out there who have products and applications and services can integrate with this and be integrated with it uh, in a way that people can buy your stuff and find their way to your thing and play your game that advertises your thing or whatever. Like that's the feature. The, the actual like emoji game. I I don't think that was, I mean, it was probably clear to developers, but if a regular person saw that, it'd be like, Oh, I'm not interested in emoji games. Like, ignore the emoji game. That is just a a proof of concept, hello world type thing. Uh, other integrations is what you're looking for here.
2: Well, Fair enough. Um, Then they made mention during the Elo conversation and a couple other times about security, uh, which I really, really liked that Google and Apple seem to be quietly colluding in the good way to try to make their, their platforms more secure. But that being said, I wasn't entirely clear on what the security situation is in Elo. It seems that there's kind of two modes. There's the general normal use mode, which... Is encrypted ish, I guess it's encrypted enough to prevent snooping by anyone but Google because they need to have their equivalent of Slack or yes, uh, yeah, the Slack bot in there in order to, to offer all these suggestions. And then there's an incognito mode, which is just like Chrome in your messaging app, which is apparently encrypted e to e or end to end. That just I, I i like it overall but that just seems weird to me to have to think about whether or not you want this to be end-to-end encrypted
0: yeah and i wasn't clear too i i, I watched most of this presentation but i didn't get a chance to rewatch watch this segment in incognito mode it doesn't hide you as the sender right like it's it it's the other person still knows it's you talking right you just initiated a new end-to-end encrypted session I is that i think
2: that's correct
0: yeah all right so anyway um yeah it's it, it's it's i think you you got it exactly right it, it it's a difference between can could google encrypt this if they wanted to uh, in theory or can nobody do it and as has been ta- discussed at length with iMessage even though iMessage is end-to-end encrypted as well because apple has control over the key servers still technically if apple wanted to be nefarious they could you know uh decrypt your conversations uh as they happen they don't do that and they don't plan to do that and they and they say they'll fight the government's attempt to make them do that but there's so many other ways to get your information like the i the unencrypted iCloud backups of your conversations and yeah it, it's much more complicated than simply putting e2e up on a screen and making people feel <laughs> safe especially with the, with, the, with the government climate the way it is um but yeah the reason google i think doesn't didn't have iMessage style encryption from the beginning is because Google wants to be able to see everything that you type and it wants to have a participant in the conversation who's in on it. Even if you did end to end encryption, one of your authenticated end to end recipients would be, uh, something on a google server somewhere like i don't think they're anonymizing when they go back like apple is when they go back to the siri stuff because they kind of have to know things about you and know who you are to do smart server-side things because i don't think all this is happening on the phone right there is a server-side component and so it's the tension we've always talked about is like that Apple's trying to be good about privacy and like i don't even want to know your stuff but if you want personalized service from uh you know an, an intelligent agent with machine learning intelligent agent has to know how you, who you are I, I mean i want it to know who i am but now all of a sudden this intelligent agent is privy to my conversations and it's not a person uh and it's essentially owned and controlled by google so end and end contrib- end end encrypting it with the agent is not really helping things if you are worried about uh the government forcing google to give it records anyway um i think in this day and age if there's something you don't want the government to see don't send it through google or any other service probably even apple i mean apple's probably your best bet but in general you'd have to take encryption into your own hands if you actually want which is fairly easy to do like you know the math exists it's out there you can get encryption software and use it yourself and communicate with somebody in a way that the government can't subpoena anybody to get but again you'll probably just screw it up and they'll be able to social engineer something out of you anyway (laughs)
2: oh goodness all right uh let's talk about duo and knock knock so Duo is FaceTime, but not. There's more to it than that. And then what is Knock Knock? That's the intro mode in Duo. Is that right?
0: Yeah that that's another. This is another one of the demos where they didn't say the obvious thing. It's like, oh, and when someone's calling you, look, I can see my daughter, and I, you know, it's like your your phone is ringing. Essentially, it's like the FaceTime ring, right? Uh, and rather than just seeing. The name of the caller and maybe like a little picture of them from your contacts or whatever, like, you know, your your daughter is calling and you see your daughter's name and, you, and a still picture of your daughter. What you instead see is video from the the caller side before you've decided whether you're going to pick up or not. Right? how can you do that demo on stage and not immediately say, but don't worry this only happens for known contacts that are in your address book or that you communicate with. Surely that is the case, but you have to say that. You have to actually say the words. It takes two seconds to say the words. Otherwise, the entire audience is going, oh my God, naked people are going to be calling me constantly and I'm going to instantly see their video because I can't stop them. It's like, like, do they not have women at the company? Like, that's, that's what, it's just, The women would say, I do not want to see a million guys junk as they randomly dial me and I have no choice and I see video of it immediately. Like, And, again, I don't think that's going to happen because surely this only works for, like, your favorites or your known contacts. Like, that's got to be a feature, but you have to say it on stage. Because, otherwise, I think Google, seriously, I don't know. That really bothered me that that went unmentioned. I I feel like even Apple would say, and don't worry, this only works for your contacts. See how easy that is, Google? I mean, and, and, again, surely that's the case. I think there have to be engineers inside Google you know who understand the privacy implications of unsolicited video from strangers appearing on your phone screen (laughs) but they didn't say it in the presentation or if they did and i missed it and i'm sorry no i don't think they did boy boy yeah as someone put in the chat room junk time instead of facetime
2: (laughs) so the thing that bothered me about the knock knock to be honest i didn't think about that but you're absolutely right but the thing that bothered me about knock knock was they started from a good place which was Video call, well, phone calls in general, but particularly video calls are extreme are an extreme interruption. And you have to really dedicate your entire attention to a video call. And sometimes it is not a convenient time for that. But then again, on the other side of the coin, what if what if Aaron is calling me to say, oh, my God, Declan just took his first steps or something like that? So they, what Knock Knock does is it lets you see what this person is calling about. So I can see Aaron and Declan, and I can see her freaking out. And they in their little demo reel video, they showed a guy who was holding up two ticket stubs, like he had gotten tickets to a concert or something like that. And then they showed another person who holded up their left hand to show, I think it was their engagement ring. And so the problem I had with this, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being a jerk about it, but it was like you have to earn your right for them to pick up your phone call like you have to earn it man you can't just call and be smiling you got to perform you got to put on a show or i'm not picking up the damn phone
0: (laughs) or they're not going to pick up i I don't think it's a real problem because again it's only going to be your actual people you know doing this right who's video calling you anyway no one is cold video calling you or in any case you wouldn't pick up it's going to be people you know and the only time they would video call you instead of regular call you is if they have something to show off or they're an adorable child right why else are they gonna no one's gonna video call you just to essentially have a phone conversation uh because who wants people looking at them unless they have something to show or are they in, or are in an impressive place so i don't know I, I don't i guess it just depends on who you talk to but i don't feel like anybody who i would ever video call would deny my call because i was not sufficiently uh exciting in the
2: video (laughs) well the other thing is any facetime (laughs) conversation i've ever had has almost always been uh preceded by an iMessage conversation being saying hey i'd like to facetime you are you cool you know it's almost it's, it's to your point john it's almost never me cold calling or somebody cold calling me saying you know with no for uh previous warning but is that perhaps because there is no knock knock like feature for me to kind of screen that call? Maybe
0: I do get those. By the way, I do get a surprising number of not not phone calls, but FaceTime calls randomly on my phone, and of course on oh, my Mac is integrated with my phone. I don't answer From any of them. Strangers? No, it's like un, unknown. Yes, just oh, that's unknown weird. call really? or unknown number, and and not a phone call, and not a FaceTime audio call. an Actual FaceTime video. That's super call. weird. I don't know if there's, like, war dialers out there just trying every (laughs) single number. I don't know. I've never answered one of them, so I have no idea what's going on, but it's annoying that it makes the FaceTime, like, bloopity bloop sound. (laughs) I mean, like, I've
1: had, like, I have a few relatives who basically treat FaceTime like phone calls, and so they will just call me on FaceTime, like, you know, unannounced, just yeah. that's their call. My parents will do that. I think yeah. that's fine. And but I, you know, I've never wished for this feature. I, I mean, I'm sure it's fine. It, it it's certainly going to be odd at first before anybody's used to it because that's not how things have gone so far with these kind of video calling things. Like, so there's there's kind of an expectation that you are not being broadcast before the other person picks up. So I think you're going to see a lot of people picking their nose and adjusting their, their hair and stuff like that. Like, just like, you know, embarrassing prep before they think they're being watched.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is something that people will have to get used to, but I think they will get used to it. Hopefully it's an optional feature. Again, something that didn't mention, like, is this optional? You know, it should be for only known contacts and for known contacts, it should be an option because maybe you don't want that to be the case of so, you know, exactly the way you said it. You're just more used to like until they pick up, I'm not on camera.
2: Yeah. A couple of the quick notes about this. Um, it apparently does really, really well with um, graceful degradation as the connection gets crappier and then whatever the uh, the opposite of that is as things get better. Um, and the thing that I'm most excited about about this is that it's multi-platform. And I believe at one point or another, they had said that Ello and presumably um, Duo operates where your phone number is kind of your user ID, if you will. And something that I've struggled with is Aaron's side of the family, with the exception of Aaron, is exclusively Android. And there have been several times where we'd like to have a video chat with her mom, which her mom only lives about 20 minutes away. But maybe Declan is doing something funny or maybe, I don't know, we want to show her something in the house. We'd like to do a video chat. And... We don't feel like we have a mechanism to do that. Now, yes, I know that Skype exists. Yes, I know that Hangouts exist. Yes, I know that there are many other video chat apps that exist. But there's nothing that I personally have used that is as easy as FaceTime. And I hope that this Duo thing will be as easy as FaceTime. And so we'll be able to install this on our iPhones, and my in-laws will be able to install it on their Android phones. And we'll be able to do these very quick, very simple um, video chats on a whim, which would be really, really awesome. And I'm really looking forward to that hopefully working.
1: Or you can just wait for FaceTime to become an open standard mm-hmm. because they're, yeah. they're going to the standards bodies today with that. It's just a matter of time now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is another thing that, that's Google's strength because uh, my experience with Google Hangouts, for example, is it is the the first and best sort of multiple people on a video stream thing that I've ever used. And is the quality great? No, but uh, they, they like like really good video games and good iOS applications and so many good things. They uh, they understand that the most important thing, like they understand the hierarchy of uh, of needs in a video call. Uh, number one, audio. If you have to drop the video to maintain <laughs> the audio, do it, because nothing is, is more annoying than not being able to hear people. Uh, and then number two, responsiveness of video rather than quality. If you have to drop the quality to an obscene level just to keep track of someone waving their hand, then do it. Like, responsiveness and understanding the audio is the most important thing. And my frustration with feinti- FaceTime is often that the audio will start cutting out, and it makes it impossible to even communicate about the bad video. And the video, like will have higher overall quality when it's working. But when my parents' terrible internet connection starts dropping things out and it becomes like a slideshow, I wish it would just degrade to a much uglier algorithm or, I mean, and FaceTime will do this. FaceTime will turn off the, the video entirely to go to the audio, but in practice it does not do that soon enough. It very often struggles with stuttering audio and I wish I could just like, just, you know, drop this entirely. Very often FaceTime calls have been derailed by saying, just call on the phone. Cause we know the phone will work and I'll be able to hear your words. So, um again i haven't you know I, the only thing i've used video from google is you know youtube which of course is only google by acquisition uh and google hangouts and i've always been impressed by the performance under pretty you know dire conditions of so many people all across the country doing one big giant multi-video uh conference call thing so i if this duo thing works and because it's cross-platform it may end up being an easier like I'll, we'll see if it ends up being like my go-to like i'll probably still do facetime with my parents because that's just what they're used to but if it's but if facetime is messing up i will have this app installed and i'll make sure they have it installed too and i'll say switch to this app and we'll just do a b testing oh facetime is dying because of you weird internet weather over there uh <laughs> try this other app that i showed you and hopefully it will be simple enough that they can figure it out and it will you know be connected up in a way but like i'm I'm optimistic about this as being a decent product and like like Marco was ridiculing Apple for the open standard like this you know Apple could have done this but hasn't how has FaceTime gotten appreciably better since it was rolled out I'm sure it has I'm sure it's gotten more reliable and the algorithms have gotten better and the quality is probably better at the top end than Google's thing is going to be but that doesn't matter when I can only hear every fifth word that my parents are saying.
1: Yeah, and also FaceTime notably does not support more than two people on a call yet. And I, I hope we get that at some point. Because, like, you know, iChat had that before FaceTime yeah. was a thing. Like, we, we had that 10 years ago. Um, so I know it's more challenging on mobile, on cell connections and everything. It's not an easy problem by any means. But I do hope we get there.
2: Yeah, but is Duo, I, I mean, it, Duo itself in, implies two. I don't think that Duo is going to be more than one person, is it? or more than two people i should say
1: book i mean if nobody actually has like more than one other person they know with an android phone right
0: <laughs> uh, what are you talking about they're more than 50 yeah, percent of the exactly.
1: market um
2: the other thing is uh supposedly e to e encrypted always
0: enterprise to enterprise yeah <laughs> that one is e to e encrypted always uh well they didn't say always they just said end to end encryption they didn't give a qualification so i'm sure it just means always uh, mostly because at this point i wouldn't say this is going to be true forever but at this point there is no Google bot equivalent that needs to see every frame of your video to do something intelligent. But if there was sufficient bandwidth, both in terms of CPU and, uh, you know, and, and data throughput, throughput, I'm sure, like, under un- un- unlimited conditions in a local environment, Google would love to have an intelligent agent watching every frame of your video and doing intelligent things based on it. Because, you know, again, you know, still image recognition, uh, it's, you can do that on video, and then video recognition where you're actually not just looking at individual frames but the actual video – And having something realize where you are, what you're talking about, being able to do hand gestures, seeing your facial expressions, uh, then Google, uh, you know, would need to see your video. And on the local device, maybe, maybe it could still be end-to-end encryption. But again, there's probably, there's almost certainly a server component to this. And so I don't know how long end-to-end encryption, end-to-end encryption on Duo only lasts until Google realizes that they can do intelligent, helpful things by uh looking at your video so that's probably still a ways off because of just bandwidth concerns and everything else but uh, i wouldn't expect it to be always
2: fair enough all right so updates to android
0: yeah i was getting towards the end of the i was getting towards the end of this section i had to skim some of this but i i tried to put some highlights in here i'm sure there's things that i'm missing uh vulcan vulcan was kind of depressing because i mean apple apple's been so far ahead with uh Graphics performance on their devices for so long, especially compared to like the average of Android versus just like the high end Android. Uh, and then Apple, you know, did that OpenGL yes and then they did the Metal thing, which is a lower level thing, and that was great. And uh, I'm sure it's good for iOS game developers and everything. But uh, on the other side of the coin is the sort of open standard OpenGL Chronos Group thing, which is uh, Vulkan, which is based on Mantle from AMD and a bunch of other stuff, and it's very much like Metal. And you know, these all these ideas have been floating around the graphics community for a while. I don't like to see Apple as the kind of like the FaceTime situation. Oh, we've got our own thing. Uh, The only good thing about it is that Apple's own thing is actually pretty influential because Apple, a lot of games ship on Apple's uh, platforms and they make a lot of money. So uh, maybe they could quote unquote win just because most of the money in game development is is happening on iOS. But I would really rather see Apple supporting the uh, industry standard. Like, let's get everybody working together to make... The low-level graphics API that everybody's going to use, as opposed to Apple having its own. But Apple having its own is probably kind of a competitive advantage, and they are so big they can probably get away with it. But it just depresses me a little bit. Fair enough. Uh, let's see what
2: else. Uh, they did a lot with um, just-in-time compilation, which is kind of exciting, and even just-in-time
0: installation, which is weird. Well, uh, yeah, that, that, the instant apps thing. We'll get to that in a second. But the just-in-time compilation is the flip side where I start to feel bad for Google. <laughs> that they're still dealing with the JIT, and they're <laughs> like, oh, we'll we'll like profile the code and write the optimized version of it to Flash to make a faster launch each time. It's, and I know they have pre-compiled apps too, but just that technical decision to go with uh, initially a weird Java-ish language and just-in-time compilation and everything, like they're still kind of paying the price of like having to having to try to match apple which is shipping pre-compiled binaries right pre-compiled pre-optimized binaries that are you know that are smaller that they don't have to have the the yeah you know, they, they're, they're doing plain catch up here um and maybe long term they're still doing the right thing and maybe it's still an advantage but in the current stage there's lots of weird compromises that they're digging out from underneath and so there's a whole section of the slides that are just things that apple is just not concerned about because they don't have these problems because they don't have a JIT.
2: indeed uh they have multitasking
0: yeah that that was the, like that was the part where it's like all right you did pretty much what apple did which is not that imaginative when apple did it and it's not that imaginative when you did it which part did you think was novel i mean split screen and picture in picture is like literally like word for word uh the the uh you know ios ipad multitasking they did it on a phone which i think is something that apple didn't do like they, they wouldn't does apple doesn't even let you do split screen on the the mini does they yep. do they yep. i don't know what the limits of that feature is Alright uh, anyway, uh, on the iPhone, no, but they showed it on the phone, basically top bottom split instead of from the side, yeah, well, because you wouldn't want like two inch wide apps like side by side, that would be awkward, uh, yeah, well, I don't know, it depends on the app, but uh yeah they can scroll the text sideways um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what was and they, and they had, like, the double tap to switch back really fast. Oh, here was the thing that killed me in this presentation. And I kind of understand why they did it. So they showed their app switcher, which looks like all app switches look like these days, a bunch of little cards that look like WebOS from many years ago, showing all your applications. And they said, by popular demand, they added a clear all button. And that is essentially recognizing the fact that lots of people, either based on superstition or bad reasoning... Uh, related to the ios multitasker or on the android side probably both of those as well but also on both sides based on just the idea that some people want to clean up messes and that having a bunch of quote-unquote open applications (laughs) is visual clutter right and they just want to clear out so uh, the newer version of android does two things one they limit it to only seven so it just they go off the end you know they don't they just don't show them which is kind of nice for reducing clutter but I hope that's adjustable somewhere. Probably is. Because what if you want to see more than seven? And the second thing is the clear all button. It's like, sometimes I just want to clean everything up. I mean, I, I don't think I've mentioned this before. I've seen my son do it. I saw him using his iPhone and Uh-oh. he goes, he goes into the app switcher and flicks oh, all God. the applications up. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, where did you learn this? Who who's <laughs> like it's just they they pick it up on the streets. They pick it up like for, force quitting application. So I, I had to explain to him, you know, the whole uh, we we don't talk about that much on the show, but the, the, the angle that, that I gave to him, I didn't want to explained to him about multitasking, suspended processes and everything. I said, look, (laughs) when you do that, it's going to actually exit the program. It's going to, I don't know if I said force quit or whatever, which means the next time you launch it, which will probably be two and a half minutes from now, it has to launch from a completely fresh state. Whereas before, it was just suspended in, in memory, ready to go the next time you used it. So you think you're quote-unquote saving battery, which is the excuse he gave me, but you're probably not, because launching from a fresh state takes more energy than unsuspending the application, so just don't worry about and don't leave them. But the other angle is, which you have no argument about is like, I just don't like seeing them there. Well, so Android users apparently have the exact same problem, so they gave them a big button that says Clear All. What I hope the Clear All button does is remove the graphics but do nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Leave them all suspended. Because that's what people want. They just don't want to see the squares there. That's what Apple should do. I I mean, they'd have to add a new feature for actual force quit, but I wish flicking up the squares didn't do anything except for remove them from the multitasking switcher, but everything else stayed the same. They just stayed suspended and were managed in in a normal way. But, boy, uh, this this ailment this is like the 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 zapping the pram of the mobile age or rebuilding the desktop i don't know how far back i can go and repairing permissions rebuilding desktops older like these voodoo solutions but this one i think there's a foundation that people just don't like to see the mess so android is giving them a clear all button we need to have like a summit like a like a g8 summit for like uh people who make computer devices to talk about uh pathologies related to the multitasking switcher (laughs) there are a lot of them
1: yeah, I mean and and I mean the sad part with the Apple one is like it would be nice if we didn't have to do that and if they removed the ability to do that so that people could stop doing the stupid thing. But unfortunately,
0: it does occasionally solve problems. <laughs> yeah, you you do need a way to force quit things. Like you do badly may you do need a way to do that. So you have to you can't take that away and just say oh don't worry we'll manage it all for you. But the obsessive need to do it uh, every time. Like I've seen my son do it. I've watched him. It just he just like it's just part of his routine. It's like There's no point in that, you know, and especially because you just convince yourself that if I don't do this, something bad will happen. Like, oh, I just wish I just wish that it just it just removed the graphics, because I think I think that's like 90 percent of it. People just don't want to see the squares. They don't want to see the little rectangles. They want they want to feel like everything is a clean slate. So fun, Get rid of the rectangles. Right. But then, you know, when the Facebook app starts going crazy, you do need some way to actually kill it. Or sometimes when applications get all screwed up, which happens as well, like perfectly well behaved applications where there's a bug in them all of a sudden and. Every time you bring them to the front, they're just not working. That happens, and you need a way to get rid of them, get rid of them. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult situation.
1: All right. I got it. This is how Apple's going to solve all their problems. You get one free clear all a day. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you want You're more... You
0: more with an in-app purchase? <laughs> yeah,
1: you can, you can buy one for a dollar each uh, if you want more after that. The, their growth issue with iPhone revenue is solved yeah it's, it's an
0: it's what you call it it's an energy-based mechanic where you, you exhaust your energy you have to do app purchase to get more <laughs> oh, clear all i i don't know i wasn't there in the crowd but i wonder if that was like a big uh, applause feature because they, they did say by popular demand <laughs> all right someone someone who works at google please tell me that doesn't actually do anything except remove the graphics so it'll make me so much happier <laughs> all right um we should quickly talk about um instant apps
1: this is a a really big, hairy technical mess that might end up being really good, has a lot of potential risks, has a lot of potential ramifications, good and bad. Uh, and I, I we don't really know enough about it yet. I don't think to really to really say like whether this is going to work, what the risks totally are. You are
0: worried about security risks is that what you're thinking of? Well, hold on, hold
2: on, hold on. Let me let me kind of explain what's going on here. So Yeah, yeah, explain.
1: Chief, chief summarizer.
2: summarizer, summarizer, in chief. So, <laughs> that
1: makes it longer. What <laughs> you're doing it. <laughs> I'm doing a terrible doing job. I'm fired.
2: <laughs> so, um, the idea with Instant Apps is you're in a situation where you really want to consume some content that is associated with an app. So, they gave an example of wanting to watch a BuzzFeed video. They gave an example of walking up to an NFC enabled parking meter.
1: Right, because critically, it's you want you want to do something with with an app that you don't have installed.
2: Sorry, yes, yes. So you don't have this installed, um, and you walk up to this parking meter, and the parking meter has some NFC ID that some way somehow Google and Android know are associated with such and such app in the in the Play Store. So what what instant apps will do is it will behind the scenes instantly download the subset of the app that you need to perform the particular function you're trying to do be that watch the BuzzFeed video or pay for parking or what have you and it will do that and load it instantly or thereabouts so it's available to you so you walk up to the parking meter you swipe your phone near it the NFC thing kicks in it will download the you know parking meter app you can put money into it. You can use your Android Pay and walk away, and everything's good. And you haven't downloaded the entire app. You've just downloaded the pieces, I'm assuming the intents in the Android system, that um, that are required for the operations you're trying to perform. At first glance, it sounds kind of good because I don't like downloading apps just for single-use events like this. And And actually, I have in the past downloaded a parking meter app in the D.C. area specifically to park in D.C., and then I've never used it since. And so, in theory, this sounds kind of good, but what happens then when I walk away from the meter, I didn't pay close attention to what the brand of meter was or what app I just got quietly installed for me, and I need to add time. Like, what do I do then? Does it say, oh, you've just installed the Parkminder app? Does it allow you to download the parkminder app from the play store because you've instant downloaded it recently like how does that all work i'm actually less concerned about android apps splitting themselves up into pieces because they tend to be from what i gather from our android developers a lot more modular but this whole like user interaction i think it leaves a lot of questions in my mind
0: well, I mean, like with the machine learning and the context thing, like they said, oh, and you can add more time later. I thought the same thing. Like, how do I know what how to add time? But contextually, basic machine learning stuff that they've already got, it knows what you are talking about because you just did a parking meter thing, and so if you just yell into your phone or type into your Google Assistant app, add another minute to the meter, it should know what the heck you are talking about from context, and I think it can already do that. But I, I think the idea is that from this is kind of like getting more into the open doc model from a phone user's perspective for certain classes of things and perhaps a very large uh, class of things. They don't care so much about your app. Your app is important to you as the app developer. They just want to accomplish something in the world, whether it's paying for a parking meter or buying a movie ticket or, you know, making a reservation at a restaurant they're in front of. Uh, and they just want to accomplish that task they don't want to find the app that they need to download i found myself in that position where i want to do something uh and i've heard that you can do something with the store that i know i'm like what is their app called or what was the name of that app that i heard or like just based on other contextual clues and having an open api to say From the user's perspective, their phone will just do this. Something their phone couldn't do before it suddenly can do and fairly quickly without them having to search the app store for an app and download. I think that's a good user experience and something they could be shooting for. Many problems exist in it. Security is probably one of the big ones. But like you said, like, is this just spamming my phone with apps that are installed as I walk past parking meters? (laughs) Or even if I initiate it, how do I keep track of all this crap that's getting installed? Like, there's a potential downside for this to be abused but on the other hand it is a very apple-like feature i mean apple is the company that dreamed up open Doc of like i'm not so concerned with your application i'm concerned with my task and it's like computers of the future where you're like how does that thing all of a sudden know how to work with this thing it's like magic where you're like oh i've never used this thing before in my life but it has android integration i don't have to do anything and all of a sudden my phone can do this thing that it couldn't do before and i think that's awesome i'm not entirely sure google is the company to pull that off based on the amount of weird things that go on in the Android ecosystem. But uh, I, I endorse the idea. Like like Chromebooks, for example, and like the whole uh, throw your computer in a lake, it doesn't matter because everything is in, is in the cloud. I like the idea. I like it as a goal. I don't know how close we're going to get to it with this particular implementation, but we'll see.
2: Anything else on Android N? They didn't actually announce a name. They're soliciting names. They made the joke about don't call it something, something face, but uh, anything else on Android N?
1: I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much of this stuff, you know, plays out and develops. Um, None of us use Android really ever, so I think it's funny that we just spent two hours talking about this stuff. But, hey, you know, it's, it's industry news. I think it's also interesting to see, you know, a lot of the commentary so far has been that this is a lot of, like, underwhelming stuff. A lot of it is kind of just matching Apple features or giving their response to Apple features and you know that's just how the industry goes you know there are some years where Apple borrows heavily from Google features and there are some years where the reverse happens and uh, this is a very mature market of like these advanced smartphone OS's where I don't think we can really expect changes that are on a much bigger scale than this most years uh, because it just doesn't you know we're to the point now where this stuff is mature and the low-hanging fruit has all been picked, and and uh, is that so, really
0: what you think after seeing this impression? You're like, oh, low-hanging fruit. They're doing kind of similar things. We shouldn't expect big changes. That was not my impression. I got of this at all. Well, I, 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 I
1: mean, like at the OS level, like these kind, like you know, the the stuff they're doing with with like data services and machine learning, ding ding ding, is like you know that that is where the advancement is happening for google now but, but you
0: don't think instant apps is like i mean implantation wise who knows right? and by the way this implementation will work all the way back to Jelly Bean, which was another kind of sad part of the presentation was like oh look how good we are about backward compatibility no it's because you can't move your install base to your most recent os but, <laughs> but anyway um i think that is an admirable and interesting goal that no one else is even touching like that is where have you seen something like that before i think it's an awesome idea uh and they are the first big player to say, it's a thing, and you can try to do it. And, you know, lots of caveats about it. But that's, you know, OpenDoc didn't work, and maybe this won't work either. But from a user's perspective, I think it is significant. I guess. Like, and that's, I would call that an OS feature. Like, that's, that's you know, what else is, like, launching and installing and launching and running apps. That's that's significant. I don't know. It's potentially so
1: problematic like from just like a security and technical perspective like not not to say it can't be done but just the like it's going to be yeah it's going to be hard to do it
0: well and correctly and safely and and it depends on support it's like apple pay would be crap if i couldn't use it anywhere but you know and it's like the technology and the idea behind apple pay could be great but if i couldn't use it in any of the stores it would be a total failure so there is the the infrastructure part of it, which is weird because you're like oh android's the majority they should be great on the infrastructure but like they're the majority but they're not always where the money is and that kind of tends to lead to what you know so this is let's put it this way uh well this is an idea that i think apple should share and i think my overwhelming impression of this entire presentation is so how incredibly far behind apple is in so many of these areas and how i don't see any hope of them catching up like all the things that google emphasized, all of their strengths machine learning server side stuff all of that i just look at that and i feel like if it was at apple like we can't do that we're terrible at this stuff we're so far behind them i can't even see them in the distance anymore they're this tiny speck like they Apple's just trying to take its basic services and make them reliable and have some sort of infrastructure for doing things that google was doing reliably like five years ago this all this stuff is not a glimmer in anyone's eye at apple they've got siri and haven't been able to advance it this thing is dancing over siri's grave like oh it just if you're an apple fan like this makes me think of the good old days when Apple and Google were working together on the iPhone, how awesome it would have been if they had, like, you know, divided the labor and say, Apple, you make the hardware in the OS, and we'll do the services, and together we'll make the awesome platform of the future. That didn't happen, unfortunately. But now we have the situation where Google is just so much better at so many things than Apple, and that it doesn't seem like Apple's getting better. Not only get, not getting better fast enough, but some of them not getting better at all at it. And it's just... It depresses me Uh, i guess on the bright side as long as apple continues to make uh good quality hardware and a pretty good os that sells a lot of copies google will continue to be forced to make like its Duo application for ios uh but the other features like instant apps uh we have to wait for apple to copy and all the machine learning stuff i don't have any real hope of apple ever copying if their past history is any judge so boy this i think this was It's not like a giant victory of Google or Apple, because, again, there's things that Apple does better as well. And each one is obviously going to emphasize the area where they're stronger. But this, I feel like Google is accelerating away from Apple, not just barely staying ahead in the areas that it has always been ahead at.
2: Yeah, I think that's really astute. Uh, One other quick point I wanted to make, and then uh, we should probably wrap, is they uh, talked about Android Wear 2 Um, A couple of quick thoughts about that. Number one, I understand why the watch I carry on my wrist today and and every day is a rounded rect, but man, the circles look so much better. Um, And number two, they had um, a couple of different means of input, including like a swipe keyboard, which strikes me as freaking terrible, but they also had um, handwriting where as you write, it scrolls to the left automatically, um, which I think I'd seen on like OneNote or something like that in years past. But it seemed like an incredibly clever way to handle text input on a watch because you can put, you know, about a character on the screen at a time. And if it's scrolling automatically, you know, under your finger, it looked at a glance like it worked really, really well. And I'm very curious to hear if that is implemented well and if it is then i want it on my watch
1: oh uh, I, I still believe that anytime you're doing text input on a watch you've lost
2: i agree but in a pinch it would be nice to not have to use siri
0: you just use graffiti
2: yeah totally yeah just
0: draw the same draw the same letter over the same spot you don't need it to scroll just keep drawing the same letter on the on the watch face yeah the android where what it has going for it is they're trying everything <laughs> it's
1: true <laughs> right well, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to get too far into this now because we're out of time, but honestly, I, I think, you know, Casey, you mentioned like, man, round looks so good. Android Wear can do different shapes than Apple can because the design of the platform from the beginning was, in a very Android way, uh, to to have a scalable system that could apply to, you know, any large set of different device sizes and shapes and characteristics that I think ultimately will prove to be the better way for wearables to be designed for wearable platforms to be designed. I, I don't think the Apple, the current Apple watch model of we're just going to make one type of watch in one shape with one configuration, basically, you know, like, you know, they, yeah, they allow all the different bands and there's two different sizes of the same shape, but it's basically one configuration of the watch. Uh, and, I, I think ultimately the Android version of you can have all sorts of different sizes and shapes and different capabilities, you know, I think that will ultimately prove correct for wearables. Where it didn't really necessarily prove correct for phones, but you know, because most people just want a rectangle phone with a decent size screen that has a whole bunch of, you know, hardware in it and stuff. But I think watches and wearables, it'll prove to go the opposite direction. And and I I wonder I'm I'll be very curious to see if Apple takes the watch in that kind of direction because honestly I don't think they are headed that direction and I, that worries me but we will see alrighty thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week Ring, Automatic and Pingdom and we will see you next week now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin cause it was accidental, accidental. oh it was accidental
0: accidental
1: John did Search
0: Marco and Casey wouldn't let him because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. And you can find the show notes at ATP.FM. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C A
1: S E Y L. ISS, so that's Casey List, M A R C O A R M E N T Marco Armin, S I R A C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental.
0: So somebody who shall remain nameless and who is too embarrassed to be named on this particular podcast tells me tells us or tells me specifically that I am wrong about quitting an iOS <laughs> he says it's his only salvation.
2: Uh, salvation from what?
0: From I uh, assuming his battery draining he says he says you want a video it's completely replicable And I thought what I told him uh, in, in the chat here is that uh, I thought I covered all bases. Yes, sometimes it's a badly behaving app that you have to force quit. Sometimes an application is in a weird state that the only way you can get it to work again is force quitting it. Uh, And some applications, even when they're working perfectly, you need to force quit right when you're done with them if you don't want them sucking your battery down. True. All true. And yet, I still say, the reflexive habit of force quitting every single application every time you're done with it is crazy because you are draining your battery more because you're just relaunching them fresh the next time you use them, which is going to be 30 seconds from now when you launch your Twitter app again. Crazy. Crazy. What I'm against is the reflexive routine force quitting of everything. And that is the habit I see, not the selective based on past experience that I have to force quit this application or drains my battery. No, that's not how people act. Most people, it's just like flick, 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 use flick, use flick, use flick. They're double tapping that home button like crazy. (laughs) They cannot have a single. They can only ever have one thing there. When they're done with it, they flick it so they can go back to springboard and see nothing. It's, you know, it's. (laughs) (laughs) and and he's saying it's not about that it's about apps that won't launch like i said sometimes you they get into a state where you bring them to the foreground and they do nothing and you have to force quit them to be able to launch them again i understand that and yes sometimes the os gets so hosed that you got to reboot but none of this argues for you must reflexively force quit every single application on your phone every time you use it and which again is exactly what i see and it's what i see my son doing and trying to reason with him has not worked and he still does it and it's an embarrassment Okay. <laughs> Good talk. No, I mean like any any reason that
1: any like legitimate reason that you'd need to force quit all these apps all the time is probably either a bug or a shortcoming in the operating system. And so like yeah, Apple should fix those. Like it is totally valid today to say I need to I need the ability to force quit apps because Sometimes they don't long-try it or whatever.
0: Oh, you're always going to need the ability, but just for it to be a 100% blanket habit is not a good idea. Yeah,
1: I mean, like the Apple Watch, this is not a good example in general of how to design a responsive and stable software platform, but the Apple Watch has a way to force quit apps without having an app switcher. Uh, most people don't know about it, but you can do it. It's, you know, basically you hit the sleep button and then you hit it again. It's, you look it up. But uh, yeah, it... it it has a way to do that so like it is possible to still have some kind of gesture involving the the sleep wake button and holding it down in a certain certain way to have a force quit uh method without having without putting it in the switcher and having that be the method but i don't know i think the whole design of the multitasking switcher itself um needs a lot of help in a lot of ways not least of which is that conceptually everybody thinks all those apps are always running all the time and they need to clear them out so that's that's one of the many problems with the current ios app switcher that is ultimately a design problem not a technical one
0: yeah and the technical problem is when when you know an app gets stuck in that state where you have to kill it because it won't launch again like it, it will launch and you can you know run it and use it but it's useless or like you'll tap the icon and nothing will happen yeah, and then like, or just memory gets filled or corrupted, or there's an OS bug. That happens, but none of that argues for. It happens all the time. First of all, you've got a problem with your phone, and it's it's uh, obviously not a widespread problem because plenty of people use their phones. And uh, like, I I don't force quit anything ever essentially because I don't use the Facebook app, I don't use anything, and I <laughs> use I use iOS devices for years, not force quitting everything. So it's obviously not an endemic bug that that affects every single device. If it's happening to yours, who knows what's going on? Maybe you have a problem, but don't accept it as the status quo. Uh, as things working correctly and even when you do have a problem like that i feel like you can target it by figuring out which applications are the problem when do i need to do this Uh, because if you can't do that if if you just give up and say i have to do this all the time it's just the easiest system that works like i feel like it's a total failure of the product like it's not the user's fault at that point it's just the product is so frustrated the user that they can't that this is their tool for dealing with it, which is blanket force quitting. And they will never move away from it because it's the only thing that's given them a salvation on whatever weird thing is going on on their phone or the apps they use. Uh, and I feel like if Apple saw you do that, they would feel that they have failed you as a vendor of a product because they don't want you to use it that way. And you shouldn't have to use it that way. And if you feel like you do, whether it's true or not, whether you have to, if you feel like you do, that's a, that's a, a breakdown there. But anyway, I, I would say if you, if you are listening to this and you reflexively force quit all your apps, Uh, consider trying to target your force quitting, trying to to target it better. And maybe if there's an application that's a particular problem, get it off your phone. I know you can't tell people to get rid of Facebook. It's like telling people, I don't know, like to give up their firstborn. But uh, if that's not an option for you and a Facebook book is a problematic one, just try reflexively force quitting Facebook. But don't say reflexively force quit your favorite Twitter app because it's probably fine. Or maybe your Twitter app is a problem. I don't know. I just, all I'm telling you is that it's not normal like you shouldn't have to do this and and i know many people who spend years and years using ios devices across multiple hardware models and multiple os models with multiple apps who don't even know how to force quit and they're fine so it is not like a fact of life on ios and and people should not be doing it.